ஜனசலக்கா சூருமிதமேனே நம வந்தேகம் ஸ்ரீகுருசியுத்தலக்கமலம் ஸ்ரீகுருபாஜாத்தீவீவீஜனாசைத்தீராதாஷ்ணன் ஹோனாலிதாஷாக்கிதம்ச்சிபாசிந்துவேச்சிதாபன்யோ So we're continuing our Gita Darshan discussion from Bhagavad Gita, its feeling and philosophy. Now we've come to the second chapter and the last gathering. We discussed the first verse of chapter 2 at some length. That was an introductory verse to the chapter which reminded us of the sentiments of Arjuna in the previous chapter, chapter 1, Vishada Yoga, Yoga of Despair. Arjuna has reached a low point in his chatriya life, warrior life. Very humiliating for him. He's dropped his Gandiva, his bow, in the midst of war, in a war that was justifiable in that those who opposed him and his brothers were aggressors in every sense of the term. So some reaction was to come to them by the force of nature. and the pandavas were the instruments through which that karma would get its satisfaction but arjuna the most charming of them desisted he he's dropped his bow he's refused and he's given so many what would otherwise be reasonable arguments that make him seem very noble and dignified broad-minded compassionate but now after that introductory verse of chapter 2 krishna will speak and as we've been explaining he will now shed light on what he thinks of arjuna's arguments which are outside of the context of this particular discussion in these circumstances good arguments good reasoning but given the circumstances as we'll hear from krishna himself that's not good reasoning and the circumstances are of course that outside of the fact that there's a war about to take place krishna is bringing arjuna's attention to the fact that we live in a plane of of violence manasastan indriyani prakritistani karshati is a war of mind and senses in other words we are struggling with our minds and our senses we that means are different from our minds and our senses categorically different they are really perceived but they are being misperceived 
by the perceiver to be the perceiver themselves. We think erroneously that because we have a mind we can know, because we have eyes we can see, because we have ears we can hear. These things are getting in the way of our hearing and seeing and knowing. We are a knower. More than that, we are knowledge, non-dual knowledge, consciousness. We are perceiver by nature, and matter is that which is perceived. But because we've identified ourselves with matter, we've transferred our perceiving capacity into matter, and we think that matter, in the form of, for example, senses that make up the body and the mind, are perceiving, experiencing, knowing. So all these points, of course, yet to come. This is fundamental to Bhagavad Gita. Krishna will instruct Arjuna in all of these things at some length. And from that point of view, the arguments that Arjuna is giving are not good because Krishna wants Arjuna to take the reins of the battle of yoga and distinguish himself from body and from mind and identify himself not only with himself but in, in the fullest sense of his self, identify himself separate from the body, independent of matter, and not independent of Krishna. So given what Krishna wants to teach Arjuna, in other words, Bhagavad Gita is really not about violence. These are times when violence has been so much brought to the forefront of all of our minds in recent days and weeks now as it goes on. And some of the images that we've seen, for example, on the television will be played over in the minds of Americans and people from all over the world over and over and over again. It's one of those things that uh, everyone will remember where they were standing when they heard the news of the terrorist attacks, from little children to the eldest amongst us. So in times of violence like this, times of terror, times of war, then people tend to think more deeply and some air of detachment comes about thoughtfulness, introspection. And here we're discussing Bhagavad Gita and here it's in a setting of a, of a war and it's a religious war and people may wonder, maybe this book should be, should be burned <laughs> at a time like this. But, but actually it's not about, it's about terror and it's about war. It's about the terror and the oppression and the war that we are involved in, perhaps without knowing it. War with a, with a false uh, sense of self, a sense of self derived from sense perception and the dualities that arise in, in the mind of good, bad, happy and sad. I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad. This makes me happy, this makes me sad. And all of that relative to my perception of the objective world relayed through that, those imperfect instruments of the senses to the mind where the determ determination is made. This is good. This is bad. And what's bad about that is that what's good for you may be bad for me because it's a relative perception of the nature of reality and being relative to the mask of the mind and the senses that each of us happen to be wearing. If we wear red tinted glasses, we will say the world is red. 
and if, if another has blue tinted glasses, he or she will say the world is blue. But those of us who can see without glasses will say it is multicolored. The Bhagavad Gita, Krishna seeks to bring Arjuna and thereby all of us to a multidimensional and multicolored uh, experience of life. What capacity does the eye have to perceive beauty? The ear have to perceive sound. If we can feel unencumbered by this covering of matter with our self, our soul, then we have some capacity to know what is beauty and what can be heard, what can be thought. So we are all under a great oppression and we sense it but we ignore it. So Bhagavad Gita is one of those texts that seek to amplify that, make us aware of that and in doing so Sometimes, as we'll hear tonight, Krishna speaks rather sternly to Arjuna. Arjuna has not yet placed himself under the tutelage of Krishna, but there's every indication in the first chapter that as much as Arjuna is rationalizing why he shouldn't be involved in the way that Krishna wants him to be involved and avoiding the real issue at hand, as much as that he's showing that, also underneath we've heard various things in his statements that lead us to believe that he has very good potential for becoming a student of a good teacher like Krishna and learning what, what's to be learned about life from such a teacher. He's not yet formally come under the tutelage of, of Krishna, but at the end of the section I hope to discuss tonight, Arjuna formally says, oh, I, let me be your student. You're my guru. I'm your disciple. So what we're going to hear tonight prefaces that. And of course, once Arjuna becomes a disciple of, of Krishna, Krishna begins to speak with Upanishadic wisdom of the difference between consciousness and matter and so forth. And uh, give him a glimpse of how he can get out of the oppression of the terror, the terror of the mind and the senses, the terror that this oppression causes, how it puts us at odds inevitably with one another. For some time we may not be at odds because our minds are in agreement, our senses are in agreement. We have a, a, such a, a ghastly uh, experience as these terrorist attacks and so many people are in, in agreement. But then give it a little time and then it will change. And they will think the liberals will make a point and the conservatives will make a point and the protesters will come. And <laughs> again, it will be back to the norm of difference. Difference is not a bad thing. When we are properly unified, difference becomes the ornament that we call variety, that is the spice of life. Properly unified means to be unified on the conception of the nature of being and reality. Not just unified that we are all humans, and rather than Arabs or Indians or Americans, humans, but more than that, we are all of the nature of, of consciousness. And all these appearances are just that, Indian, woman, man, American, Arab, Israeli, here today and gone tomorrow. Everybody knows this. <laughs> there must be a saying like that in every language. This is the, the truth shows up everywhere, plain as day, but we are not looking. Great teachers come to, just to make us focus and look and see what's to be learned just in every day, 
what passes in every day. Such profound truths about life that can unify us on a platform, on a plane where unity is possible. Unity is not possible on the plane of the mind and the senses. Not only our minds and senses are different from one another, but our own minds change, our own senses change with age, with experience, circumstances. Senses are imperfect. They perceive inaccurately unless there's sufficient light and I have 20-20 vision. I may mistake something further than what it is, even with perfect vision. In full daylight, my eyes can deceive me and my ears and tactile sense and, and so on. There's no question of unity on this platform. This is the plane of violence. It is called in the, sometime in the Sanskrit terminology, martilokam. Martilokam means the plane of death, sure as death. It has not changed. The percentage, the rate is the same. 100% of the people will die. Some things never change. Rather than trying to change the scenery, make adjustments. Bhagavad Gita is recommending one adjustment. Change your angle of vision. Krishna wants Arjuna to see from a different vantage point. And from that vantage point it's possible to find unity, harmony, peace, nonviolence. It's good to do some human welfare work. Why? Not because any amount of human welfare work will ever do away with the injustices in life. Don't be so foolish as to think that. Any amount of it, however well-funded, however well-intended, the problem will perpetuate. You push down on one side, it will come up on the other side. That is the nature of the plane in which we live. But why is it good to do that? For the reason that it may soften our heart. Now that has value. If the heart becomes softened, that is the problem. Heart is atrophied, stone-like, insensitive, selfish it means, self-centered. This is the life that the mind and senses bring upon us, a self-centered life. Very unpleasant, even for ourselves. or to speak of others. The world of our mind is not comfortable even for ourselves, and we want to invite everyone to move in. <laughs> is it reasonable? No. If we can soften the heart, of course, this is relative to our eligibility for spiritual practice. When I heard of the catastrophe in New York, I didn't fly there to try to lend a helping hand. I continued with what I'm doing, my part, living away in a mountaintop retreat. Hiding from the world? No. <laughs> Speaking about this, how to make a permanent solution to the problems of life. Of course, everybody can't hear this, so we have to begin somewhere. So human welfare work may be helpful in this way. Do something for somebody else sometime, as many times as possible. That will soften the heart take us outside of the small sense of self to identify with the greater sense of self, humanity. As we're going, moving in that direction, go further. That is the idea. But those gathered tonight, here, we came for Gita Darshan. Arjuna is a very qualified person, very qualified. 
dignified at birth, very learned, very noble person, dear friend of Krishna, very extraordinary position to be in. So it's unbecoming of him not to heed Krishna's good advice. Krishna is part the Sarati. He's the chariot driver of Arjuna. He's not turning around. Arjuna said, let us see who's here. Pull the chariot up. Krishna drove. Observing the armies on either side, he stopped in front of Bhishma, Drona, who personified Arjuna's attachment to tell Arjuna, this is what this is about. You're materially attached. You have to overcome that. This is what yoga is for. We've heard these things in earlier discussions. Arjuna is very, very qualified. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita has spoken to him. Very qualified person. So all of you are very qualified persons to sit in an assembly to discuss Bhagavad Gita. The listeners and the speaker are equally important. There's no meaning to teacher without student. No meaning to student without teacher. The inquiring spirit, the interest, the level of eligibility that you have to come to a gathering like this to hear such a thing speaks well of your very character. Certainly something will come down, touch us in this kind of assembly. Something. Bhagavad Gita does acknowledge that there, there, this world is about violence. In the short term, it advocates some kind of qualified violence is necessary in order to, at times, in order to do damage control in the plane of violence. But if we look more deeply at the text, it's on the level of karma. Krishna is going to offer Arjuna jnana and bhakti, knowledge and love. So we can transcend the plane of mind and senses, the plane of violence. It's about non-violence in the extreme sense of the term. It's about the violence that we are committing to ourselves and thereby others because we don't live alone and how to overcome it once and for all. And in order to speak about it, here is the opening line of Krishna. Krishna has spoken in the first chapter just a little bit. We heard that. He pulled the chariot up, as Arjuna asked, between the two armies, and he said so. Kontea, Prithu, speaking to him in terms of his family ties. Here are all the gurus assembled. With a wand of his hand, magic hand, Krishna put Arjuna into illusion. Arjuna had come to fight. The opposition had wronged him, his wife, his family in every way. He was a warrior. He had come to fight. He saw a difference between his army and the army of Duryodhana. And Krishna waved his hand and said, See all these gurus. And Arjuna felt family affection for everyone, for both sides. The sides merged. Now he's going to speak again in this chapter. Arjuna has made his points. Sri Bhagavan Vacha. Sri Bhagavan Vacha. This term is found throughout the Gita, beginning here in chapter 2. Here Krishna is addressed by, by Bhagavan Vyasa or by Sanjay, 
the narrator, who's narrating the Gita, the Dhritarashtra, addressed as not only Bhagavan, but Sri Bhagavan. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. So now we find out that Krishna is God, if we didn't know. <laughs> now we formally find out Bhagavan. And important, Sri Bhagavan. So relative to the nature of my commentary on this text, I rendered this, the Lord of Sri said, it's usually rendered the Blessed Lord Sri, but Blessed Sri, Bhagavan Lord, but the Blessed Lord of Sri, who this is Krishna, he's Bhagavan, but there is no meaning to God in terms of Bhagavan without Sri. There may be Brahman, Paramatman, but when we speak Bhagavan, there must be Sri. Brahman is God without Shakti. Bhagavan means God beautified by his own Shakti. My Guru Maharaj used to say, Krishna is not very beautiful by himself, but when he stands next to Radha, oh, then he's very beautiful. She brings something out in him. Radha means, is the embodiment of love, Premayi, Karunamayi. So she's bringing out, that is the influence of God that brings out the best in him. As love herself, Radha brings out the best in God who appears as to correspond with that the nature of that love as the charming Krishna. As I said before, Krishna, when we speak of Krishna, we are simultaneously speaking of a certain degree in intensity of love, of prem. A certain degree and intensity of prem where prem reaches its zenith and what corresponds with that is what we call Krishna. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, as we are teaching, what is unique? Every spiritual tradition teaches that in some way or another, in one language or another, using different terminology, Godhead is supreme. Brahman is the worshipable object, the noble object, the worshipable object. God, Allah, as may be the case. And we are teaching something slightly different. What is the worshipable object of God? Not that God is the most worshipable object, but what is the worshipable object of God? When we speak of Krishna, then that means Radha. Radha is the worshipable object of Krishna. And Radha is the embodiment of love. It means the love. Krishna is Rasraj. Krishna is a connoisseur of love. Love itself. Joy itself. Seeking itself. To taste itself. To experience itself. Krishna means Brahman, the absolute, conquered by the love of the jiva. Love becomes so strong that Krishna said, Jejatamam prapadyante tamstataiva padjamiham mamavartmanu vartante manushaparta sarvasa. He has said, and we'll hear later in Gita, as people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. The fullest idea of Krishna, Rajendranandan Krishna, Shamsundar Krishna, is what? Is we hear Krishna, Jashodanandana, Gupi Janabhalava. 
Giri Vadadhari, why is he lifting the Govardhan? So many devotees can go underneath. He's serving them. We will pick up and give offer to God something. He's picking up the <laughs> hill, offering to his devotees to protect them. Giridhari, Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari. What is he doing in that Kunja? Bhagwan, God. He's not on his throne. He can't wear a crown in that Kunja. What is he doing there? It is amazing, difficult to imagine and conceive. And God is hiding in the bushes. What kind of conception of God is this? <laughs> it's a very different idea, but very charming. Conquered by love. He becomes Jashodanandana. The joy of Jashoda appears as his own son. Her own son. Appears as her son. Nandanandan. Jashodanandan. It's possible to develop such love, which is based on such sacrifice, that the sacrifice reaches the pitch of self-forgetfulness. Sacrifice generally involves some cognitive action. Knowingly, I make a sacrifice for the good of others, for the good of myself, as may be the case. But when self-sacrifice, which is the sacrifice is the foundation of love, when it reaches the fullest pitch, it becomes self-forgetfulness, it becomes automatic. This is love. It is gyanshunyavakti. No calculation involved. Automatic. When it reaches that pitch, you forget about yourself. Forgot yourself. We're teaching self-realization. You should know yourself. Know thyself. Vivekananda taught. Know thyself. And we are teaching, forget yourself. <laughs> Two sides of self-forgetfulness. One side, self-forgetfulness, is this material side. We forget the beauty of ourselves and we, we, we become very ugly, selfish and self-centered, oppressed, as I said earlier, by mind and senses. We get a little gyan, knowledge, real knowledge of the self. We can begin to become a giver. And when we understand oh, how life really works, by giving, giving, you get the whole world revolves around giving. In other words, the getting, everyone has some need. <laughs> it's all based, it all comes from giving. When you really understand this and give, and give means with knowledge where to give. You have a gift, tendency to give, so where you can give and get the most. You find the proper center, this is God, and give. And when giving reaches the pitch of self, from self-sacrifice to self-forgetfulness, then God is remembering you. <laughs> what do you want? Krishna says, I will reciprocate accordingly, but those people who sacrifice such to this extent, what can he give? He gives himself. As you want me to be your son, I'm your son. To be your lover, Gopi Janabalava, I'm your lover. This is a very high idea. The whole animate and inanimate world, his shakti, his energy. We are a particle of one of those shaktis. And the whole thing, which is really a person, it's not us, but it's a person, Krishna and his energies, Non-dual, energy and energetic are the same and different at the same time. Bedabed, achintya, yoga maishvaryam. This is the power of, of love. We, one particle of one shakti, can cause the whole to come before us 
like Arjun, and he's driving the chariot. Taxi, rickshaw. It's inconceivable. This is where Bhagavad Gita is going in this direction, pointing in this direction so high. And now we're so much at the beginning only. Arjuna is giving some resistance and Bhagavan is going to speak. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Sri Bhagavan. Bhagavan means God. Bhagava. Bhartha means maintainer. Gagamayati means uh, who takes takes one in love. And Ra means vas, residence, in whom everyone resides, Bhagavan. Bhagavan means also Bhagavan means who uh, who is Bhagavan, who possesses all Bhag, all Aishwarya. This is a, a definition of God given by Parashuramuni. Aishvarya Samagrasya Viryasya Yasashasriya Jnana Bharagya Yaschayo Aishvaryasya Samagrasya Viryasya Wealth Strength Jnana Knowledge Bhairagya Beauty Wealth Strength Fame Knowledge Renunciation One who has all these things fully that is God and that means that person, that entity, must be what? All attractive, because we are attracted to beauty. If someone has knowledge, we are attracted to them. If someone has wealth, we may be attracted to that. If someone has strength, either physical strength or strength of character, we are attracted to that. Wealth, strength, beauty, knowledge, fame. We are attracted to fame of people. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and vairagya. Oh, so attractive. Who is detached? <laughs> we think he must have something. She must have something. Doesn't want anything. So, who has all these things? Fully. Parashurama says, he is God. And Jiva Goswami says, he is irresistible. Krishna, Krishna. All Karshna, all attractive, like a magnet, irresistible. Bhagavan Bhajaniya Guna Vishishta. This is the language of Jiva Goswami. Irresistible. This is the idea of Krishna. And Krishna is not without Sri. Bhagavan is not without Sri. There is no meaning to Bhagavan without Sri. You see, because of Sri, there is Leela. There's movement to the Absolute. Now, we have movement, but our movement is born of necessity. Necessity arising from identifying with something that will not endure causes us to move, to work, to get busy, because we're threatened with non-existence by way of identifying with something that will not endure, this body, this sense of self. It will not endure. For it to endure at all, we have to do something. We have to work. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You may have seen the bumper sticker. <laughs> this is the plane of karma. So we're wor- moving out of necessity. It's not a free life, happy, joyful. We may find some joy when we don't have to work. 
And if we'd have acquired a little power from working a little money, we can take a little more time off and we can play a little bit. But there's a leash on that. And back to work we have to go. So some people, of course, as I've mentioned before, reason wisely that happiness means to stop this, stop owing, to absolve the karmic debt and sit forever peacefully. And it's quite frantic and hectic, this karmic debt, so you may identify with that. (sighs) A sigh of relief, shanti, shanti, shanti. But think further. If you are running down the street because people are chasing you with sticks and and you get behind a door and close it, oh, you can sigh relief. But how long will you stay in that room alone? Relief is one thing, but what about joy? Relief is only a one of the factors included in joy. Relief from what is not joy is included within joy. But if we stop just with relief, then we don't know the full limits of our potential. Joy and movement, not out of necessity, movement out of joy, that is lila, lilamoy, anandamoy, lokavatu lila kaibalyam. That is Krishna, that is conducted by Sri. She's making him move, giving him reason to move. Krishna, the Absolute, personified as Krishna, fullest expression of the Absolute, the heart of the Absolute, is moving for Sri, for Radha, (laughs) in pursuit of love, out of love. Love is full of movement. Joy, celebrating itself. That is not a movement out of necessity. It is a kind of necessity. You don't need anything. Not moving because of the absolute is in want, only for want of celebrating how joyful reality is. So that Leela of Krishna, Bhagavad Gita is part of the Leela of Krishna. As all the movement of Sri. Why is Krishna at Kurukshetra? And what is he thinking about? Speaking to Arjun? Yes. Has he ever been there before? Yes, we've heard this earlier in our discourse. Fifty years earlier, Krishna was at Kurukshetra. What did he do then? He had a meeting with Radha and Gopis and old Brajbasis. What kind of talks they exchanged there? Krishna had gone to Dwaraka and all village people left behind. Radha, Gopis, Subal, Sridham, Nandababa, Jashodamayi. Did he not care for them? The whole of Dwaraka Lila, Mathura Lila, Kurukshetra Lila is all to shed light indirectly on the glory of that, the love of those types of devotees in Braj. Here, Krishna is he's actually a prince. He had armies. He gave the armies to Duryodhan. He became the chariot driver of Arjuna. But it's known he has armies. He's a prince. People salute him. Sometimes at Kurukshetra, people saw him with Chaturbhuj. Forearms, Bhagwan. He showed Vishwarup, Vishwarup Darshan to Arjun. Arjun said, Oh, excuse me. I had been sitting on the bed with you. I had been calling you by friendly ways and even joking about you sometimes. And you are Bhagwan, you are Givaris. All the universe is inside of you. But in Braj, in Brindavan, when Krishna lifted the Govardhan hill, what did the Gopas do? They all took their sticks and put up there. But he cannot lift that. That's that's our friend, Krishna. He's our friend. They have no sense of his being God. And he forgets it too. 
This is a wonderful idea. That is the zenith of, of love, of bhakti. All bhakti is good. All bhakti is perfect. All pure bhakti, I should say, is perfect. There are different sentiments of love. Arjuna loves Krishna purely, according to his capacity. In Dwaraka, Udhav, Rukmini, Satyabhama, they love Krishna according to their capacity. In Braj, in Vrindavan, objectively speaking, we find the highest reach of love. It's like perfection within perfection. Two things, subjective, objective. Subjectively, whatever love one has, when he reaches his or her potential in love for God, that is perfect, that is best. But objectively speaking, if we were to step back, some love has further reach, causes the absolute to reciprocate it further. And this reciprocation that Vrindavan is about, where Krishna becomes scolded by Jashodamai, oh, that is very high. When it becomes a puppet in the hands of gopis, sold out to them, this is the furthest reach of love. This is the kind of love Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wanted to tell the world about. Such thing is possible. In his followers in Gaudiya Sampradaya, they are teaching. All this Leela, Matur Leela, Dwarka Leela, Kurukshetra Leela, it is a Leela unto itself. At the same time, from the highest point of view, its purpose is to shed light on the nature of the love of Vrindavan, of the Brajbasis. Well, Krishna is standing on Kurukshetra. He was there 50 years earlier. He remembering what he said to Radha and Gopis at that time. Yes, he's going to speak Bhagavad Gita. And these kind of things will come out for those who can have some feeling for them, understand Krishna in context. They can find these things in Bhagavad Gita. So Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, Sri, Krishna means Krishna is moving out of love. All these leelas. We can enter into this kind of leela. This is our idea, to enter into that leela, the divine play, the drama of, of the absolute. But in order to do that, we have to hear all these things. We rationalize away our attachments, but they don't go away. <laughs> we rationalize them away and keep them. Krishna is not going to let Arjuna do that. He, the Bhagavan is going to speak now. In the capacity of Bhagavan, is going to say very strongly to Arjuna, but kutastha kashmalam midam vishame samapashtitam anayadrushtamasvargyam akirti karam Arjuna. This is his first statement here to Arjuna. In one statement, he has completely destroyed all the arguments that Arjuna has put forward thus far in the first chapter for not fighting in the war. In verse 26 of the first chapter, where Arjuna began to speak, he spoke of compassion, out of compassion for the people. Krishna says here, what? Kutastva kashmalam idam. Kuta. Where is this kashmalam, faint-heartedness, weak-heartedness coming from? Arjuna. Hmm? Arjuna means pure. He uses this name. You are supposed to be pure. Where are these impurities coming from? This rationalization. It is Kashmalam. He says, your compassion is weak-heartedness. It is a false compassion. 
It is material compassion that doesn't take into consideration the eternality of the soul. So without taking into consideration the eternality of the soul and the nature of being, consciousness, then that compassion is an expression of ignorance. As I said, it may have some value. It may soften our hearts. That's good. It can bring us in this direction to here. Then if we get proper knowledge, then we can have real compassion. Without proper knowledge, in the name of expressing compassion and helping another, we may do something harmful for one. Like, for example, if a child is crying, an infant is crying, mother is not there, you come into the room, infant is crying, and you see a bottle, see oh, the bottle, get the bottle, poor child, but maybe she's crying because she has gas in her stomach. <laughs> and you're giving the bottle and it's causing more problem. Some knowledge is required, some understanding. What is the predicament? What is the disease? That must be treated, not only the symptom. So Krishna says, hey, this is a, you are just... Your compassion is bogus. Kashmalam, we card it only. He says, Kutastha Kashmalam idam vishame samupastitam anarya dushtam ashvargyam akitikaram. So Arjun spoke in chapter 1 about nobility, righteousness, and so forth. And Krishna said, Here, not this is anaryam. Aryan means a noble person. It's actually you are in, not noble, but we're here talking. Anaryam, dushtam, ashvargyam. You may recall Arjun talked about heaven. He said, I don't even want a kingdom in heaven. and This won't bring that kind of result, this kind of war. And he says, ashvargyam. This is not heavenly. You won't get any. It has nothing to do with heaven. By speaking like this, you won't go to heaven. Akiyati. Arjuna was concerned about his reputation. If we do this, what will become of the family dynasty? What will people think of us? Krishna is saying, Akirti, Akirti. You will lose fame by not following what my advice. Then he says, second verse, Klaibya masmagamapartha naitatvai upapadyate chudram hridaya dulbulyam yaupartha When he first spoke, in the first chapter, he said, oh, uh, Prita, Partha, Kuntea, same. Reminded him of his family heritage to bring out his family sentiments. Here he's reminding the other side, not only the motherly side, but fatherly side. Two sides of the equation of the family affair. So mother is Kunti, who is the father of Arjun, Indra, great warrior. Oh, he's reminding him of this, you come from a warrior heritage and don't want to fight. Hridaya Dulbalyam, you're weak-hearted only. For a chatriya, these are strong words that Krishna is speaking. There's power behind because he's Bhagwan. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Bhagwan said this. If a very powerful person says this to you, you have to think twice. Arjun gave very good arguments. Many people are deceived by his arguments. They think, he's right. He shouldn't go to do this war. Why Krishna is telling him to do? Because Krishna is Bhagavan from a different vantage point. He's talking about a different war altogether than the one that appears there ostensibly. War on the mind and senses, this terrorism, and how to overcome that. That's what he's addressing. That's what he wants Arjuna to enter into. So when Bhagavan says these things to Arjuna, 
out of love, under the influence of Sri, out of love. Arjuna is crushed. He tries feebly to, to make a response. He, he, he now will utter something in response. He makes an effort. Arjuna vacha katam bishma maham sanke dronam cha marasudana ishubi patayotsyami pujharo arisudana katam bishma maham sanke dronam cha madhusudana Two names of Krishna are used here. Madhusudan, Arisudan. Madhusudan, they mean the same thing. But it's not redundant because Madhu can mean different things. Madhu could mean, here Krishna is, Arjuna is referring to Madhu demon. Madhu Kaitava. Krishna is the slayer of these Madhus. Madhu Kaitava means uh, bitter, sweet, good and bad. The slayer of this. But Madhu could mean the patriarch of the Madhu dynasty. So he says Adisudana, to make it clear. Adi means uh, enemy. And so he's slayer of enemy, slayer of this enemy of duality. O killer of Madhu, demon, how can I in battle kill Bhishma and Drona? How can I use arrows against these two worshipable men? O killer of enemies. Arjuna is saying, all right, you want me to do battle with Bhishma and Drona. It means really to do battle with my attachments that they so much personify. But they are my guru and my grandfather. You may be Adisudana, but you're not a Guru Sudana. This is his argument. You may have killed your enemies, Krishna, but what about your friends or your guru? This is what you want me to do. To do. This is Arjuna's reply. And you call this weak-hearted? Hridaya Durbalyam? So Krishna will he think, well, and if you don't kill him, then what will you do? You're a warrior, what will you do? Gurun ahatva ki mahanu bhavan shreyo bhuktum vaikshum apiloke abhiyaloke hatpartha kamams tu gurun ihaiva bunjiya bhogan rudira pradigan he says, I, I would rather be a beggar. He's a warrior. For a warrior in this social climate to become a beggar, that is unspeakable. He says, I, it is better to live in this world as a beggar than to live at the cost of the lives of my venerable elders. If these respectable elders are killed, the spoils will be tainted by blood. Some interesting language here. He mahanu bhavan. Great souls are to be excused for apparent flaws of character. Bhishma and Drona are on the wrong side here. They are great persons. But one of the things, a side note that we learned from this, is that, as I say, great souls, they are to be given some room for idiosyncrasies. Uh, Krishna is the prime example. After Ras Panchajai, Ras Lila, dancing with the gopis in the dead of night, after hearing this from the sage, sober, sage, celibate monk, Sukadev, the king Parikshit in, Mahab- in Srimad Bhagavatam, he says, uh, Krishna is the Dharma Setu, the very bridge of Dharma. How could he be going with somebody else's wife? And you're telling me this. And Sukadev says, Great souls can do things that other people cannot do. That is one thing. 
if you can do everything else that Krishna can do, then do that first. First understand that. He's not like you. This whole affair is not like what you think it might be like. What it would be for you in mundane consciousness. It is a different thing. It is Leela. So he says, it's great souls, they, they, they should be given some room. Don't try to fit them into your frame of reference. They come to take you out of your frame of reference. That's the purpose. Don't try to fit them into your frame of reference. Of course, then he goes on to say, and by the way, Krishna is the husband of the husbands of the gopis. What about that? That is his position. Everyone is prakriti, he's purusha. This is Siddhanta. It is all Sakya, not Parakya. Everyone has only Krishna as a Bharta, Balab, Master, Husband. But here Krishna says, Arjuna says, He Mahanubhavan. He glorifies them. He Mahanubhavan. In this, using this term, venerable souls, it also means, it means, He Mahanubhava means the sun. If you combine he with mahanubhavan, you have he mahanubhavan. So those who have power, anubhav, like that of the destroyer, he of cold, maha, we get sun. Adding he to maha, we get he maha, the sun. So why sun? Sun means the sun shines everywhere, even on urine. But the sun does not get contaminated by shining on the urine. What happens to the urine? It becomes pure. In other words, it, take, it is evaporated and brought out. That's pure drinkable water. So great persons have power that we don't have. It is said about Nitananda Prabhu, the, the other self of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If you see Nitananda in the brothel with a non-Vedic lady, <laughs> And you should think he's only there for the purpose of delivering her. Abodut, he's called Nitananda Abodut. Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi formerly, so he could only go in certain places. But his heart went everywhere for everyone. He brought Nam Dharma of Krishna Kirtana for Kali Yuga, and a special Krishna Kirtan relative to his own disposition. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna in search of the experience of Radha, what Radha experiences in loving him. He wants to taste that, that love. Krishna becomes as a bhakta in her bhava. And from her lips, Krishna is coming. Krishna varnam, tisa krishnam, sangopangastaparsadam, yagnaisam kirtana praya. Yajanti hisumedasa, intelligent people will take advantage of this. That kind of chanting of Krishna nam coming from his lips, we should take that as it's passed to us from a sadhu into our ear and into our heart, bring that onto our tongue and chant that. What do we get from that? We cannot imagine. Mahaprabhu, he wanted to go, his heart went everywhere. Once he reasoned that what I have brought, this Nam Dharma, is a solution to the world's problem. I am Vishwambhar. His name at, at birth is Vishwambhar means who maintains the universe. But he is thinking to maintain the universe in a special way, to nourish them and maintain every, everything in the universe with love of God. This is real pushti. 
real nourishment, real, real sustenance. In that society, in that culture, sannyasi is, has a certain, follows certain dictates of the social structure and uh, he's a dignified person and so forth. He wouldn't talk with the Raj because Raj means worldly person. If I talk with the Raj, people will think I'm purchased by the political leader. Then they won't listen to me. The very name Raj meant worldliness to Indriya Sukh, to him. So he would pratap in Puri. He refused to see him. Of course, an arrangement was made that he could secretly and in love because Pratap was Rudra Maharaj was a great devotee, but that is a long story. My point is, Mahaprabhu's heart went everywhere, but the social status that he accepted as a sannyasi restricted him from going just anywhere, everywhere. Therefore, Nityananda Prabhu is other self. Balram, Mahaprabhu is Krishna. Prajananda ye sachisuta hoila say Balram hoila nitai. Gaura Nityananda, Krishna and Balram. And Krishna came as Chaitanya and Balram as Nitai in Kali Yuga. And Nityananda Abudut, he went everywhere. He did not have the formal position of a sannyasi. He went and rolled on the ground in front of people and asked them to chant God's name, knocked on their doors, begged them, went to the brothel. Everywhere, where Mahaprabhu was socially restricted, in a sense, to keep an image. Because if you see a sannyasi at the, at the bar, you, you have to wonder, <laughs> what is this? It doesn't matter, even if he's there for the right reason. Well, people will say otherwise. But he wanted, to, people are there too, and suffering. <laughs> so through Nityananda Prabhu he went. And Nityananda Prabhu, therefore, a great person, but um, hard to understand. He went to the lowest section to lift them up. So sometimes he would, his character seemed, might seem questionable. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was always quick to point out, don't question his character. One time in the, in the Sangha, Nityananda became walking naked in the bhava of a gopa from Vrindavan. A gopa, a cowherd, like a young boy. He's a full-grown man walking into the assembly naked. People think, this man is a little crazy. He came into the Sangha. We are discussing Bhagavatam Gita. He's walking naked, naked, holding a kopan in his hand rather than wearing it. Mahaprabhu could detect the mind of the people. Immediately he took the kopan, tore it up in little pieces, and tied this around your arm, and you'll be able to control your senses. He wanted to point, don't, this person is very special. He may be a little strange, but... <laughs> looking, but... But what is inside his heart? What is making him mad like that? He may look like a bag lady or something, but he's actually... (laughs) Something else is making him mad. Love of God, mad to give that out. And sometimes he's all lost in it. He doesn't know if he's wearing any clothes or not. So great people, they just have to give a little room. (laughs) Arjuna is making this point. He mahanu bhava, nachaitat bhidmakartaran, no gariyo, yadvajayema, yadivat no jayayu. Yan eva hatvad nad jajivishamas te vastita pramuke dartarastraha. But he caves in. Arjun's given some arguments, but really 
Krishna's first two statements really crushed him, defeated him. That such a person that as his friend, that he, at least as his friend, that he regarded, when he gave all these good arguments, the best that he had, he just dismissed them. So he's going on a little bit, but he, he as we can see now from this verse, verse 6, even he's given a couple sounds, good, maybe some good rebuttal, but he's caving in, actually. He says, I don't know anymore what's better, conquering or being conquered. If I kill the sons of Dhritarashtra who are standing before me, I don't even care to live. So his bewilderment peaks at this point. He doesn't know what to do. He expresses his futility with material life. One has to reach this point to take the spiritual life seriously. As long as you think there's some prospect, I can work it out, or to the extent that you think, I can sort it out, I can work it out. The mind is always working in this way, to make a solution to the problem at hand, which it really isn't aware of, but it's aware of all the symptoms of the problem. And the mind is seeking constantly to make a solution. I'll go here, I'll go there. I'll get this, I'll do that. This will happen. And it's just planning and planning and planning. It's so busy planning for what we will do next, we cannot pay any attention to what we are doing now and find out what's actually going on <laughs> at every moment. What possibility of life is before us? What prospect life holds? Mine is like a thief who, after robbing the bank, runs down the street shouting, Thief! Thief! Someone has robbed the bank. And we go and say, Oh, thank you. Which way? It's over there, that way. Mind is the culprit. Always pointing, it's him, it's her, it's my employer, it's my employee, it's this place, it's this weather, it's this day, it's, and I'll avoid it in this way and that way and never catching the culprit of the mind himself. One has to reach a point, as Arjuna is reaching here, where we conclude, I cannot sort this out. I have to take some help. You see, when, when sometimes I, of course, lived monastic life my whole adult life since I was maybe 21, 22. I'm 52 now. So many times when I was younger, especially, I would meet people and they would say, oh, you, you, you need this crutch to be part of this order or religion. It's okay. You need that. That's okay for you. Yeah, but, but the implication is, but I don't need I'm, I'm, I'm strong, self-sufficient. So my thinking is, was always, the difference between you and me is that only that I admit that I'm weak, and you have not admitted that yet. You have not assessed what is the battle and what is your position in that. What is the position of mind and senses? Krishna will teach Arjuna later on, one of these senses is so strong that a man of knowledge will be taken away by it in a moment. Just one sense. And all of them are working. All of them at the same time on us. We are weak, and we are first to say, I'm weak. Yes, that is our strength. We can assess the reality of our position, our weakness, acknowledge it, then we become strong. That is the beginning of strength. As long as we don't admit, then there's no, there's no hope for us. We have to come to this point. And Maya is battering us from every direction. 
we must wonder why, why, why all this happens, why these problems come, why there is terrorism, why. It's a particular manifestation of something that's happening all the time. Talk of terror. Yeah. Drive down the road. The bugs are dying on the windshield for the thousands. Some big bombers riding through the street and destroying them. Not to minimize the problem which we spoke about earlier that we're all somewhat traumatized by, but to take it to another level, to, we may assess that, that uh, we are already in t uh, under assault, being terrorized. And they're everywhere. It's everywhere. It means wherever I go, mind goes with me. Wherever I go, I take my problems. You have to deal with that. That is yoga. So when we reach the point that we, we really feel we, we, we need some help, just like I've given an example before, we, we live in a credit economy. So we can get things that we don't really have the money for on credit. But sometimes we max out our credit cards and then we end up owing more than we can pay or we owe so much that we're working only just to pay the debts. We're paying for the things we've already bought and they're old now. <laughs> we cannot buy any new things. Our whole life is just working to pay for things that we've already bought. We have no life of our own. So in this point, uh, this position, then sometimes people, they take shelter of the court. They declare bankruptcy. The court appoints a lawyer. And you come under some shelter. The deb debtors are negotiated with, and you're allowed to have a life. Something will be paid here, something, not everything, but something, and you can have your life. This is the direction now Arjuna is moving, and he is maxed out. He understands my karmic implication is so vast, I cannot sort it out. Now it's coming to me in such a big way, I'm in this predicament. It's part of the maze of my whole material existence, and it re reaches a, a point. That's why the first chapter, as I said earlier, is called Vishadi Yoga. Sometimes distress, despair. When we really be understand the, the nature of our despair, the extent of it, then there's hope for us. We make a radical solution. So Arjuna is making a radical solution. We have to reach this point. We have to realize, I'm bankrupt. I'm searching for joy. I've been searching for joy for so many years. How much joy? Unlimited joy. I don't want any concomitant distress factor. How much joy do I have? Are my hair standing on end? Am I crying out of joy? Trembling out of joy at every moment? How close have I got to that? Honest person will say, yeah, I can't even measure. <laughs> how close, how close, how far? Then I can give you a big number. Make the change. Make some change. And radical change. So assessing the nature of the predicament accurately, that's the beginning of the solution. Arjun has reached this point here. His despair has peaked. He's tried to make an argument, but he's really admitting, I can't take it. So thus, he's further demonstrating, as he has subtly thus far, here and there, his eligibility, adhikar, for accepting a guru. It means everybody doesn't need a guru, because everybody doesn't want to make a comprehensive solution to the problem of life. They don't think they need to. Only those people need a guru. And those people who have understood, I need some help from above. 
then some manifestation of that will come. Some sadhu will come into our life. Otherwise, he can speak, but if we're not receptive, then if we're not interested, we don't feel the need, then his words will go in vain. Sometimes people ask, how will I know who is a qualified guru? And I sometimes answer, you should study what it means to be a qualified disciple. Develop those qualities, then then you will know, then it will come. If you think you are the teacher all the time, then how you will recognize one who is actually teaching? You have to realize that you don't know in order to start knowing. I don't know, Arjuna is saying. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's not working. <laughs> so he's seeking some help. And he says, then, come to the a key verse. Karpanya dosho bhata sabhava pichchamitam dharmasamudacheta titschayasanishchitam bruhitan me shishastayam sadimam tam prapanam. I'm confused about my duty. Due to miserly weakness, he admits it, what Krishna has already said. Karpanya, Kripana, who leaves this world attached to things he cannot take with him, is a miser. Therefore, he says, please, you tell me, Krishna, you tell me what's best for me. I'm your disciple, shishas teham, sadimam tam prapannam. A soul surrendered unto you, please instruct me. Now, Krishna has spoken, Bhagwan has spoken in a strong way, crushed his arguments. He's caved in. Now, his friend, he's accepting as his teacher. Now Krishna will begin to speak Bhagavad Gita. As I said before, there are many starting points we can say in Bhagavad Gita. So this is another... Actually, Arjun Krishna is hesitating here. He doesn't say, yes, I accept you as my disciple. Okay. He doesn't say anything. He's silent. You want to be my disciple. It means he's testing his resolve by his silence. Most people, you say, I want to be your disciple. Yes, you come. You come. And you can be my disciple. Very good. (laughs) Krishna's not doing that. He says, nothing. No response. I, I'm bewildered. I want to be a disciple. I, I surrender to you. You tell me what to do. Krishna's silent. He's implying, me, Guru? Why me? You're a smart man. You made so many arguments. Why don't you just fight? <laughs> You've got so many good arguments. You don't need me. So this is all implied. This is the feeling of the text. Just from the fact that Arjuna, Krishna doesn't reply. He doesn't say anything. He wants to test his resolve. It is not a business. Make a business out of guru, disciple, for making a living. It should not be with for that. If a guru accepts an unqualified disciple, then that is a problem. He has to stand up in the public and say, I accepted an unqualified disciple. I publicly admit, and I found it un- unqualified. Shraddha should be there. Faith should be there. He doesn't say anything. Nahi prapashyami mama panudyad yat choktam utchoshanam indrayanam vapya bhumav asapatnam ridham rajam suranam api chadipatyam. So Arjuna, this continues. If I were to gain the entire earth as an uncontested kingdom or sovereignty in heaven, 
I do not see how I could remove the grief that is drying up the power of my senses. So he's saying, I understand there's nothing I can do. That's what I'm saying to you, Krishna. There's nothing I can do. This is my position. I need your help. He's further petitioning. And Sanjaya concludes then this section. Sanjaya vacha evam uktvar shikesham gurikesha parantapa nayotse idigovindam uktvatushnam pabhuvaha. Sanjaya said then, Gudakesh, Sadhu Rishikesh. This means Arjun, conqueror of sleep, says to Rishikesh Krishna, conqueror of the senses, O Govinda, I shall not fight, and fell silent. Actually, he's in his apparent refusal to fight, he's placing himself further in Arjun's hand, in Krishna's hands. He's accepted him as his guru. Unwittingly, he speaks the truth. He won't fight. Rishikesh will fight. Krishna will do everything. Arjuna will be the instrument only. And by being the instrument of Krishna, then you will become enlightened. So, we'll stop there. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, Sri Krishna Arjun ki jai, Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami Popat ki jai, Bhakti Ratsak Siddhartha Swami Maharaj ki jai, Kuru Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Kuru Premanandi ki jai.